0: Good morning, Branch Church. Morning. There we go. <laughs> Good morning, Church. Branch Church Online. It's a blessing to be with you all this morning as we continue to worship God through the hearing and the receiving of his word. Now, you can learn a lot about somebody through their speech. My four-year-old daughter, she likes to find me when I'm working at home and come and ask me if I will print her a picture to color. And after establishing some ground rules that she has to pick extremely fast so daddy can get back to work, we then sit and peruse through whatever she's most interested in. It could be tutus. It could be princesses. It could be the Incredibles, superhero. She was into that for a little bit. Cute family. And we got five. They got five, so it like kind of fit us. And <laughs> we would go through the pictures and she would say, daddy, what, what are they doing? She's looking at the action and doesn't understand it or just wants me to say it. I'm not really sure. And so I I tell her, this is what's happening. And a few seconds later, she'll go, Daddy, what are they doing? And then I'll tell her, this is what they're doing. And then a few seconds later, she'll ask me a third time. And now I'm wondering what's going on. Do you not know? Are you not listening? Pushing my buttons. I'm not really sure. (laughs) So I'll come up with something crazy, right? They're baking a cake. It's because his legs are turning into frog's legs. And she looks at me and she says, no, they're not. <laughs> By her sharing and speaking, I learn a lot about her at four years old constantly. She's very curious to understand actions and emotions and people's faces and put it together and have it make sense in her beautiful little head. Speech is a great avenue to get to know someone. Jesus teaches us for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks you get to hear not only what people are thinking, but what they're interested in and even their values, what's important to them, because we generally talk and share about those things that are important to us. We can even learn a lot about where people might be from. Hey, forget about it. what do you say? Chuck's Chuck's house. Forget about it. How about this one? Bless your heart. Bless your your little heart. Apparently that's not always a good thing to say, I think I learned, but it's cute, we get an idea. Today as we read John chapter 4 and John chapter 5, we're going to go through two stories back to back here, and we're going to learn a lot about Jesus through his speech. Jesus came to the earth and he spoke a lot. And through his speech in particular today, we're going to learn this, that Jesus' healing speech reveals his glory. Why is this so significant? Because John tells us in the prologue, John chapter 1, verse 14, that they saw the glory of the Son of God. The same glory that God revealed to Moses, going all the way back to Exodus 34, that same glory is now being revealed in the Son. And one of those ways in which they recognized that was through his speech, in particular his healing Speech And as we learn this, there'll be great truths and wonderful applications that we will all be able to walk away with because of the truth of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to John chapter 4, beginning in verse 43. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 43. John writes, he says, now after the two days, he departed from there and he went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his, ho- in his own country. After two days of being with the Samaritans, remember in our last story, Jesus had to go through Samaria. He stops, he speaks with a woman. They come out and they're like, would you please stay with us? So he stays two more days as he's getting ready to go on route back to Galilee. There's a map here just to remind you of kind of the journey in which Jesus is taking here. And on the way, there is this, Prophet has no honor in his in his home country kind of talk. It is, it, what does this mean? When Jesus says this here in this context, he is foreshadowing something. He's foreshadowing the type of reception that he's going to receive in Galilee, which is not gonna be reception at all. You see, the Samaritans received him, but he's gonna point out his own people will not. And we remember again from the beginning, John tells us this, he came to that which was his own yet his own did not receive him. Jesus knows this full well before he even gets there. Verse 45, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had also gone all the way down to the feast. Now, if you're paying close attention, you will notice something. Sean, you just told me they're not gonna receive him. And I'm pretty sure he just read, they received him. How do you explain that? Well, it's actually really easy. They received him as a miracle worker, but they will not receive him as Messiah. That is two very different receptions. D.A. Carson, he points out there's great irony here. The Samaritans, you remember them, right? The half-breeds, the political rebels didn't have all of the scripture. Well, Jesus went to them and what did they do? They started singing, he's the savior of the world. He comes now to his own people, fully Jewish, descendants of Abraham. They, they have the revelation of God. Jesus is coming out from their own people as one of the Jews, and yet they're not going to receive him. At least they're not gonna fully receive him in the way that they're supposed to. You see, they're gonna get stuck. They're going to get stuck at miracles, and that's going to be a very hard point for them. And throughout here, going forward now in the gospel, you're going to see a lot of opposition from his own people, just as John talked about in the beginning of this gospel. Verse 46. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. You remember, that was his first sign that John shows us. Jesus takes the water into wine. What does that show? He is bringing the new age blessings into a reality now pictured in abundant wine. And it says, and there was a certain nobleman who, whose son was sick at Capernaum. So now we meet a nobleman. So in the Greek, there is a word for king. It's the word basileia. And if you want to remember it, you just do this. Hey, basileia, I. Basileia means king. And then there's Basilakos, which is this guy, nobleman. Nobleman's not a great translation. It's actually a king's royal servant. So this is a royal servant here who now shows up on the scene. He has high position, he works for Herod Antipas. He's doing pretty well. And even though he has this high position, what happens to him? His son gets struck with a debilitating illness. It doesn't matter the position you might have in society, sickness, struggle, cancer, and even death can come for us all. Money, position can do a lot to protect you in this world, true, but it cannot ultimately protect you from these struggles and ultimately from death. Death will come for us all. It's a reality. The question is, is who will you cling to when death comes? And I hope that you can say in your heart, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 47, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea, that's southern Israel, into Galilee, northern Israel, he went to him and he implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. This royal official shows up desperate. He's lost all hope of anyone else helping him, and he now comes and he travels 17 miles at the very least by himself to come to Jesus to find healing for his son. He left his son not knowing if his son would be alive when he returned. But he probably figured I gotta leave because if I don't, my son will probably die anyway. What a hard dilemma this guy has. And he goes and he travels all by himself, all this way it seems, walking all these hours to meet someone he's never met in a place maybe he's never been. Remember, they don't have pictures. He doesn't know what Jesus looks like. He's only going off the whim of what someone has told them, that there's hope here. And so he goes and puts it all there. Would you have left and gone and done this? I think about if one of my kids was sick, would would I leave and would I go anywhere else? That would be very hard to leave them. My daughter Penelope, about three months ago, she went to the doctor and has been having breathing problems. So the doctor sent her to the emergency room. To go get some breathing treatment. I get on the phone and my mind's spinning. Okay, there's a few things you go to the doctor for that are like really, really serious hearts, coughing, breathing, brains. Like if there's something wrong with that, you're like, ah, what's going on? And so I, I just burst out. Is she gonna die? Do I need to come there right now? Like, I'm getting real time information. I'm not sure what's going on. And if a doctor sends my girl to the emergency room to get breathing treatment, there's gotta be something really wrong with her, right? And if I really believed she was dying, there was nowhere else I'd wanna be except holding her in my arms, looking directly in her eyes and telling her how much I love her and how much I am proud of her. If you were the royal official, would you have left your kid in your arms to go on a whim, on one little piece of information to possibly find healing from some guy named Jesus who apparently heals people? You see a lot of faith in this guy already. It's inspiring this guy. Verse 48. Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Jesus' response here is one of those, what just happened? He came looking for healing, and then Jesus says this and what he says here. And, And Jesus doesn't say it just to the royal official. He actually says it to the whole group. We know this because he says you, it's in the plural in the Greek. Jesus takes this, as a, takes this as an opportunity to address something that is far bigger and far more important, a bigger problem that's going on here at this time. Unless you all see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. In other words, they have a condition. God, here's my condition. If you don't meet my condition, then I won't believe. And if you meet my condition, then maybe I'll believe after that. What's the condition? I need to see something miraculous. I think it might be akin to someone saying... Have you ever had someone say this to you? If God is real, I want a lightning bolt right here, right now, show it to me. And we know the reality, even if God did that, you wouldn't believe. Maybe for a second, maybe as a miracle worker, but to believe in God as he truly is. You see, God is not pushed around by man to show signs at man's will. God will reveal his glory when he decides to reveal it in the best way he knows how for the sake of bringing out real faith in people. You see, the problem here is they don't have genuine faith. They are missing the Messiah because they're getting stuck on the miracle worker. And Jesus is not fond of this condition. I'm not gonna be some cure-all magician for you. And so it seems to be he's testing them back. Where are you really at? Verse 49, the nobleman, the royal official, he said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. He doesn't, I don't know how much he understands what Jesus said, He's not worried about miracles or focus. He's like, I just want you to heal my son. And I think we, are, we can all feel sympathy for this. Just heal my son. We'll talk about that later. Just please come and heal my son. Jesus said to him, go your way. Your son lives. Jesus gives no, no visible sign, no no prayer, no remedy. He doesn't tell him to go to the pharmacy and get this pill. He just says, your son lives. That's it. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. He had nothing else to go off of and he goes and he takes Jesus at his word. He doesn't ask for an explanation. He doesn't ask for a visible sign. He doesn't ask Jesus to repeat himself. He simply goes and believes what Jesus told him. This is the kind of faith that God desires. This is the kind of faith that we will see praised at the very end of this book. Thomas, I want to see, I want to see, I won't, I won't believe unless, you know, I, I can put my hands in the nails. And at the very end, it says, blessed are those who haven't seen and yet still have believed. And that's us because we're not there. We don't get to see Jesus. We have to go on his word. God can still do miracles, but God has given us something, dare I say, even better, his word. And his word is enough to believe upon him. For everything that he has promised and said and revealed to us. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father, first time he's called a father, he's not the nobleman, he's not the royal official, he's the father. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives, and he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. And when Jesus speaks, he speaks reality into existence. And when Jesus speaks, we learn a lot about him, we learn about his glory. He is the glorious Son of God who has come and has brought the kingdom of God to this earth, giving us a foretaste in the miracles. This is amazing. When Jesus speaks, the dead live. When he speaks, the sick are made well. Nobody else can do this. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? You want to be a part of a place where people are made whole, people are made better, true, eternal life, not just the quantity, but the quality of life is given? Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Or would you rather be a part of the kingdom of man, you know, where there's disease and sin and broken and unforgiveness and hatred and hurting relationships? Which kingdom would you rather be a part of? The answer is easy. I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. How do I do that? By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Part of him speaking and revealing the speech here is so you could recognize his glory and just like this man, believe on what Jesus has said. And that is power. Jesus's words are powerful. If Jesus said the ocean is purple, what would happen? If Jesus said the grass was blue, what would happen? If Jesus said pigs can fly, what would happen? How about this one? If Jesus looked at the wind and the waves and said, stop, what would happen? So when Jesus speaks to the church and gives his word, we can be absolutely assured of it. I don't need another miracle. I have his word. What has he said to us? In the gospel of John alone, we read two weeks ago in this chapter, chapter four, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. Do you believe that? You can believe that because Jesus said it, amen? This next story is gonna be very similar, but there will be a very different response than the first one. And I think they help to kind of contrast each other with the different responses that people might have. Chapter five, verse one. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. John centers a lot of the activity of Jesus in his gospel around feasts. He usually tells us what the feasts are. This time he doesn't probably because the theme of the story doesn't have to do so much with the content of the feast. So he just says there's a feast. So he's gonna travel all the way back down south and then elevation-wise, he will go up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew or Aramaic, probably better translated Aramaic because that's what they were speaking to each other, which is called in Aramaic Bethesda, which is this house of outpouring, having five porches. Now, there's going to be a picture here on the screen. This is a recreated picture of what we're talking about here. There were two pools, north and one south. They were both trapezoidal in shape. From the top of one to the bottom of the other is about 300 feet. Three feet in a yard, that's about 100 yards. You got yourself goal line to goal line of a football field. That's a very big area. The top one is about 200 feet. The bottom one is about 250 feet. So, these are very big pools. And you have these columns, colonnades going around the whole thing and also separating, going between the middle. So, these are these pools, these bathing pools in which we are now looking at. Verse 3 what was going on here? In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind people, lame people, paralyzed people. Have you ever been in the doctor's office when it's really busy and people are hacking and coughing? and bandaged, and bleeding, and moaning. It's kind of like this. This is not a place the average person might just go hang out. It's not normal. And so Jesus goes into this place, again, probably breaking social barriers, and we're ready, like, what's he gonna do? This is exciting. Now the rest of verse three, where it says waiting for the moving of the water and the rest in verse four, where it speaks about an angel coming down, I do not believe is a part of the original manuscripts. We have to talk about it because it's here. There's a reason I don't think it is, is it's not in the best and oldest manuscripts, this verse and a half. There's seven non-John type words that are used. You know, if you were to write a letter, and you you get used to someone's vocabulary and style, and then all of a sudden there's this paragraph where that doesn't really sound like you. It's kind of like that, it stands out. There's a good chance that in the manuscripts, they have space on the sides, kind of like we would have notes in our Bibles or wide margins, and there's these things called glosses where they might write next to it, and the gloss could actually make it into the manuscript And we could actually see when and where that happened because we have so many We're able to test these things. So there's a good chance that that made it in. But for a good reason, even though I think it doesn't belong. The reason is is they're trying to explain verse 7 why the people were trying to go into the water. There was a superstitious belief. You get in there, first one and gets healed because they think the angels are actually stirring the pool. I don't think this is actually true. I think it's just a superstitious belief that they had and we'll talk about it a little more. So with that said... I'm going to go from verse three to verse five. If that was very confusing for you, I apologize. And you feel free to ask me anytime. Now, a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. What was his infirmity? Probably some sort of broken legs, lameness, paralyzed. doesn't seem that he could walk or move himself. And we'll see that when we get to verse seven. 38 years is a long time. That's 38 summers of not being able to just go and walk on the beach. 38 springs where he couldn't go and just smell the flowers when he felt like it. This is a hard life. I'm 37. One more year, I'll be 38. To imagine my entire life with not being able to use my legs to play sports, to drive, to do all the things that I do, this guy's got a very hard life. My wife and i when we got married we went to we were going to maui and we were at lax and all of a sudden there was you ever seen lion king you know in *Lion king where's the stampede comes down the gorge and everybody just freaks out so it was like that at lax into our little terminal and so we freak out and grab her and you know you just run on adrenaline she gets kind of tripped up. We run over kind of like lovingly as a protective husband, push her behind the, the, that big desk thing, whatever that is. And then people start running out of the tarmac. So we grab her, and we go onto the tarmac. I'm not sure why, but we're just going, right? We, we, the visualize is someone has a gun and someone's gonna come and spray bullets around the corner, like that's how it feels. And so we go out there, we're calmed down, sit her in one of the little places there and look at her foot. It looked like someone took a hammer and just busted her ankle. It was just like, like that, it was huge. Somehow she got caught up and busted her foot on one of those metal parts of the chair. And this is honeymoon, right? Just got married, getting ready to go to Hawaii. It's like, well, this is a bummer. So I got to fil- fulfill my vows immediately by carrying her. We just happened to be on the second floor. I think of an Airbnb. Go-, go to Costco to get some food. We got to push her and use all, anyway, we got to do the whole experience. It was great. But to imagine her living that way or being like that for 38 years, that would be miserable. I mean, just a few days, a few weeks were miserable. My poor wife, you know, hobbling on the beach, you know, and her crutch is just really sad. And we're going to take an offering for a new honey. I'm just totally kidding. (laughs) Totally kidding. Totally kidding. Verse six, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well. So in Mark chapter two, there's a paralytic, just like this guy, and they can't get into Jesus. So they go up on the roof and they lower him through. We're familiar with the story. This one's a little bit different. This guy is not brought to Jesus. Jesus goes to this guy. And from my understanding, this is the first time in John in which he goes to someone in this healing type way. Usually they are coming to him and he asks him a question. Do you want to be made well? Why does Jesus ask him this? Probably to reveal and see what's in his heart. And indicate to us something amazing is about to happen in the scriptures. I don't think there's a need to psychologize the text here. Meaning, I don't think there's a need to say, you got to want to be healed before God will actually heal you. God can heal you whether you want it or not, whether you ask for it or not. Verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. His answer tells us at least three things. One, he wants to be made well. I'm trying to get to the water. Secondly, it shows us he's superstitious. I got to get to the water because that's where healing is. The angel comes down and boom, I got to get there. Third, he's got this really weird view of of healing. First come, first serve. Gets God's grace. Everyone else misses it. So I got to hurry up and I got to get in there. This type of ancient superstition was common. It's even common today. Have you ever heard this? Knock on wood. What does that do? I don't want to make anybody feel bad. I come from a very superstitious mind on things. But think about it. Is the wood going to answer you? Does the wood have power to help you, to prevent something or to give you something? Absolutely not. How about wishing upon a star? What can the star do? It's not, it doesn't have a mind, it doesn't have power where it can talk to you or intercede for you. It's a star. How about don't open an umbrella indoors? Don't walk under a ladder. Black cats, broken glass. How about this one? God bless you when someone sneezes. Do you know the origins of that? Now, I don't mind if you say God bless you to someone, as long as you're not doing it with the ancient origins of demons, and I think that that's too much. But it's interesting when you go back and think about our superstitions. When I played football, right, got to make sure the tongue of my shoe is straight so I could kick the ball straight. That has zero to do. There was a, a TV show, I forget it, and he was bowling. And he's like, five strikes, six strikes. And he starts to realize, whatever I'm doing is working. So he goes through this routine every time he does it at the end. Right, got to bite the hot dog, high five somebody, you know. And then now he can do the thing. That has nothing to do with what he's doing. There's another one, there's a commercial years ago, where this guy leaves. He goes down into the basement to grab a drink, to come back up, to find his, his, his family or friends or whatever, cheering because their team scored a touchdown. And then he has this conclusion. Every time I go down there, we score. <laughs> so I'm gonna take one for the team and I'm gonna go down there so we can win the game. Now, we, we all know that has absolutely nothing to do with how well his team plays hundreds of miles away or wherever they're at. Okay, he's in the basement, guys. Let's run the play and score. It has nothing. And yet, the thing about, I've been wanting to do a, a sermon on superstition for so long. <laughs> There's this power we attribute to the wrong places. And it doesn't have power or sovereignty. That belongs to God. And so it's so important that we remember God is the one we ask. God is the one we trust in to make things happen, to fix things, to make us the people he wants us to be. Verse 8. Well, before I go to verse 8. So this guy, this guy's... He's got a lot of issues. His body is broken. He doesn't know Jesus. He's got a really messed up view of God's grace, it seems. He's, he's he's superstitious. The real question is, what is Jesus gonna do with this guy? who's just He's just really off his marker. Verse eight, Jesus said to him, rise, take your bed and walk. Jesus speaks and he not only speaks, he commands him to get up to walk. Show everybody your legs are fixed. And I want you to take your mat made out of straw and show that strength in your whole body now as you walk. And just like that, Jesus, with his speech, reveals his glory as the one and only Son of God by taking that which was broken and making it whole again. 38 years of debilitating illness, gone. 38 years of maybe feeling hopeless and desperate, gone. Because Jesus spoke into this man's life with his power. It's amazing. And immediately, the man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. You can imagine the elation he felt and probably the surprise at the instant joy in which Jesus brought into his life. You see, Jesus brings joy into our lives. He can do it instantly. He can do it over long periods of time, but he has the power to bring it and we trust him for it, whatever that might look like in his good timing. It says in the end of verse nine, and that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. Can you imagine? You just got out of the doctor's office and you're like fixed. 38 years of an issue. And someone comes up to you and is like, what are you doing? You're breaking the law, man. Stop it. I would have been like, did you even know what just happened? Look at my leg. This is incredible. The Sabbath was important. They were told to keep the Sabbath. They were not supposed to work. That is from Friday at sundown to Sunday, Saturday at sundown. They were not supposed to work. Presumably, you weren't supposed to do your paid job. The Jews in the Mishnah, the oral law, if you look at the Mishnah in chapters 7 and 10, you will find 39 ways in which you are not supposed to work. I forgot to bring it with me up here, and I don't remember it because it's a lot. I was going to have you guess which one he broke, but I'll just tell you. He was carrying something from one domain to another, and he wasn't supposed to be doing that in their interpretation of the law. Now, their hearts were in the right place, wanting to you know, keep God's law. They don't want to go back into exile, but man, they sure missed the heart of this. Verse 11, he answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. The guy takes his finger and he points it away from himself and was like, that guy told me to do it. This is where you start, start to notice the different responses this man has versus the, the dad in the last story. Verse 12, then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? I think we're more interested in the guy teaching to break the Sabbath than this little guy over here who's actually breaking it, or they think so. But the one who was healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Jesus finds him later and Jesus is going to use the opportunity to address a much bigger problem. Healing is great. Can I get a witness? Healing is stupendous. It's beautiful. But physical healing is not the end result. It's not the end goal. The end goal is something bigger. It's the sin inside of you. And that's what the man really needs healing and forgiveness and deliverance from, the sin that is inside of him. And Jesus brings that up. There's a sin problem and that needs to be repented of. And you need to come to God and find forgiveness of that. And if you don't turn from that, something way worse than 38 years of broken legs is gonna come upon you. What could be worse than 38 years of not being able to walk and be paralyzed? Hell, hell. Hell, eternal separation from God where you will pay the price for your own sin. Jesus is gracious enough to help this man see sin And by God's grace, he'll be willing to turn from that and turn to Jesus. Verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And so we have two very different endings to these stories. And this guy just seems to be very much, I'm gonna blame him so I don't get in trouble. Just throw it all over on this guy and deal with it. We'll pick up the story next week on how Jesus now addresses the Jews because of this. But today we have learned clearly that Jesus' healing speech reveals his glory. And that speech is powerful and it's worthy for you to trust your entire life to. When Jesus said it, you can believe it. He does do miracles and that can encourage your faith, absolutely. But we don't want to put conditions on the Lord. We don't want to call down lightning bolts. No, we have your word. That is enough. You've spoken. It's final. You said it. Even if I don't fully understand it. And there's things I don't fully understand. I feel like I should by now, right? No, God's mystery is so much deeper than I could possibly wrap my little arms around. The best thing I could do is not say, I got it all figured out, but I don't understand, but I believe and yeah, keep teaching me. Here's my hands, open Lord to you. <laughs> We've also seen in the story, two different responses. One who believed just because Jesus said it and it happened just as he said. And the other one who was a little more self-preservation and decided to get the blame off of him. There's so much more he could have said than, oh yeah, go deal with that guy over there. He did it. When it comes to superstition, let us make sure that we are knowing where power truly comes from. It comes from our our Lord, our God. And that's who we call out to and cry out to for deliverance in these things. You don't need to knock on wood. You don't need to wish upon a star. Don't worry about ladders, umbrellas, broken glass, casts, all that stuff. It doesn't mean anything. It could be a really freeing day for some of us who struggle with those things. And we see something amazing about God's grace it came to the one who asked for it, it came to the one who did not. God is gracious to extend his grace to both types of people. I was one who was not asking for it. How about you?